Welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. Uh, we have on one, probably the man that has been on the podcast more than anybody else, and it is Corey Allen. He just dropped a new book, Now Is The Way, and it is fucking fire. The thing about this book that resonates with me that I haven't seen in any other book that I've read, and for sure no meditation book, is he's talking He's writing in a way where it genuinely feels like this is how his higher self speaks to his ego when he meditates. And that's the vibe of the whole book. Um, he came on the podcast and we just did the dance. And honestly, um, around the slightly towards the end of the podcast, it felt like one of the most important conversations slash topics I've ever talked about on the podcast. I really truly felt God in the room when we were talking about what it feels like when you get into that space where you know that you're able to ask a prayer of the universe and it will respond. Um, and the reason that we talk about this is because Corey is one of those people that he's manifesting his dreams rapidly in reality, and it's insane to see. And um, it might sound or be egotistic, but I really feel like I've been doing that too the last couple of years. And I've found that there's this, there's this subjective experience that happens when I feel like I enter into... Um, a different, okay, what's the best way to say this? There are moments throughout the year where I genuinely feel, oh, I'm in the presence of my higher self or my potential or my God, and I can ask for something right now. And, um, you know, I have to be careful what I ask for in those places. And Corey resonated and shared that he also can feel distinctly when his subjectivity shifts in a way where he knows, oh, I'm in the presence of this God thing and I can now ask my request from the universe. And um, I really think that anyone who is a fan of the podcast, that that is a part of the conversation that you are going to want to check out. And I would also love to hear uh, if that part of the podcast resonates with you and you have those type of experiences, please feel free to email me at connect at ericgotzi.com and to share what your subjective experience is like when you enter those states where you know that you're in the presence of the divine and that you can request a prayer from the universe or you know you can make a wish, essentially. If you would like to support the podcast, the most direct ways that you can do this is to share this episode on social media if it inspires you, and then to go to iTunes and to leave a rating and a review. Um, you know, one of my goals is to get big time psychologists on the podcast and whoever the people are that handle their correspondence. One of the things that they will check to see if the podcast is worth their boss's time is iTunes. And so the ratings and the reviews and the number of those, they do matter. And they will help me get dope guests on the podcast. And if you would like to uh, hear from me each week, I write a weekly newsletter where I share the book that I'm reading, the music that I'm listening to, the quote that I think is dope, and what journaling prompt I'm dancing with that week. So 
If you would like to do that dance, you can go to ericgotzi.com and sign up for the email list. As always, I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. There's so much going on in the world that um, it really means a lot to me that you choose to be here. So thank you. I love you. And namaste. There's just so much happening. But that's why now is the way. Did you see what I just <laughs> did there? Dot com. Hey. Um, so there's a lot to explore, but I think the first <laughs> one is, man, congratulations on manifesting a book. Thank you very much. I think that that's the <laughs> thing that um, there's a specific type of person that that's like they're like, that's one of the dreams in yeah. their life. And I'm sure that that has been something that has been a dream for you since you were young. Absolutely has. Thank you very much, man. It's um, it's like I've been pregnant for two years, and uh, I'm excited to for this baby to be out in the world. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I think that it's interesting how with any benchmark experience that one wants to have in life, you know, it it's an a far away concept at first. Mm -hmm. You have this idea of like, oh, I'd like to put out a book. But you don't really know what that means. Right. You know, you know that you you have the idea or you think, I want to get a quote unquote high paying job. <laughs> you don't know what, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, sounds good on paper, but there's just so much more to the whole experience yeah. than that. And um, I had a, a rough distant idea of, what putting out a book was like because of many friends that have done so. Right. But uh, actually going through the process was just um, very clarifying in a lot of ways and um, very humbling. And uh, ultimately it helped me understand what I think more, more clearly. For sure. It sharpened up my way of moving through the world of talking, it presented a lot of the challenges and discomforts that I needed to move into to continue to grow and expand yeah. and, and all that. Um, one of which is asking people for help. Yeah, man. Because I have always been so self-sufficient and uh, there's a point as far as, you know, actually getting the book out there, you have to, it takes a village or you must, sure. uh, you got to do that. And it's, um, yeah. And I mean the, yeah. So every, every aspect of it from the creation to the actual execution is uh, just been a long process of, of learning and, and growth and, um, excitement. And I've really intentionally, uh, been moving through it without expectation but looking at every opportunity, every aspect of it as just uh, something I'm equally grateful for. Yeah. So rolling up on everything that comes up, whether it's big or small, with just the same amount of presence and appreciation and, and gratitude and and uh, just seeing it through, you know? I mean, the, the whole, the the reason why I put so much pressure on myself for it is because I respect the human situation so much right i have so much integrity for or hold so much integrity for the relationship between 
what I can put out there and what someone else can take from that. Yeah. And I want it to be, I want to serve them honestly and well for a long time. And I don't take yeah. that lightly. And so I've really been just uh, crushing myself, making sure that there's no possible thing I couldn't have done better. Right. In every aspect of the whole thing from creation to the launch and everything. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a, it's all, it's just like a magical, you know, it just feels like a weird kind of blessing, like a dream. I look, yeah, man. At a few times where I, there have been exciting things on the horizon, and I'm like, ooh, I hope that happens. I'll think about like, well, wait, what's amazing is that it already happened. I already like got the, you know, like I got the the a book deal and wrote the book. Like yeah. that, this is amazing. I'm already yeah, here. Right. Everything else is just fun bonuses, you know? What has been the most um, kind of self-revealing thing that's happened by you taking on this process of um, writing the book? Like, was there some new idea that you came through through writing, either like about the philosophy that is in the book or something about yourself that you were not aware of that came to the surface from writing the book? Mm -hmm. Like, what was the biggest alchemical gift saying yes to this process gave you? I think that two things um, that come to mind were one, as far as my a personal teaching that was really useful, was um, I always go into everything just full force as far as like if I'm going to approach a project or a, a meeting or whatever it is and really just, you know, show up for it as much as I can. Because of that, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of success, mm. like on the first try, whenever I go into things. And um, in a process around selling the book, you know, I thought I had it like my first meeting, I was like, crushed it. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> no more pressure. You know, like the pressure's gone. It's all mm. cake. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the ride. And, uh, it turned out to be have a little less stabilization. Of course, it turned out exactly how I would have wanted it to, but there was a ripple of destabilization, destabilization, which made me realize, like, oh, that's an aspect of ego of just assuming and expecting things right. to work out because you're good at making things work out in general. Mm. It and, sounds like the curse <laughs> of getting things done well on the first try right. over and over and right. over. Yeah, yeah, and so I really like took that humbling. Uh, and turned it, and that's it was a very big learning about expectation, about just. Um, and, and was this people saying no to the book proposal, or like having to rewrite the book? A couple no, of times? it was. This is selling the initial book proposal, right? And having like, <clears throat> again, not knowing you know how the whole thing works, but having you know, you, you talk to a you have a, a meeting with a group of people who are editors and you know, publicists and marketing people and whoever else and and. It, they they'd say is this a project that we think we can do something with then if they think they can do something with it then to make an offer on a book they have to go take it to a boardroom full of invest you know their financial people and then they have to go take it to a boardroom full of their insurance people or what you know whatever it is and then a boardroom of lawyers and a boardroom of creative people and everyone has to agree but then the further you go up the mountain the the more people have to give the thumbs up or thumbs yeah. down in kind of a binary way so, you know, the first situation was that all of the people in the room were like beyond stoked and told me like, we're going to, we can't wait to give you an offer, like, you know, get ready. 
I was then so that's why I was like, boom, crushed it, we're good. <laughs> and then a week went by and they're like, We're so sorry, but we couldn't convince basically the old uh you know, COOs or whatever that it they thought it was too risky of a of a project. And yeah. so they're like, We're very sorry, we're really bummed and all this stuff. And um so it was kind of like, sweet, I can't believe I just crushed this on the first try. And I was like, oh, wait a second. Um, yeah. And, you know, that maybe hearing that from the outside, it, maybe it might sound like a bit of a, a goofy thing to, or, or a bit precious or something like that. Um, but when you're inside of it, to me, you know, it's a lot of excitement and a lot For of, like, sure. all right. Like, the, in, to, ultimately, it's, it's like the pressure coming off because I just, I have a real habit of like wanting to, um, make sure that I make myself do the best I can in every situation. And so I put irresistibly, I put a lot of pressure on myself about like everything I'm doing because I don't, you know, whenever you let that up, that's whenever you get lazy and you yeah. might miss something or not apply yourself. And all of that pressure really honestly does come from the place of integrity, as I talked about earlier. It's a deep respect for the human condition and knowing that if I don't try hard enough, right. that people, I might have been able to communicate something to someone else that would have helped them or cut away the time that they spent in a certain state or enabled them to get to a more desirable state faster if I would have simply got off my ass and tried a little bit harder. Amen. So I try is to never ever let that happen. And, and because of that, I end up feeling under a lot of pressure a lot of time, even though it's all completely in my mind. For sure. Um, and so, yeah. So in those situations, like putting all that pressure on myself, I can relieve that pressure by following through and exceeding my expectations, exceeding what I think is possible. And I'll be like, okay, I'm like climbing up the wall in Game of Thrones. I just got a couple of good more, you know, ice pick whacks up the wall. Yeah. This is sweet. Um, and so it's a way I can sort of objectively show myself that I'm making progress. Right. And, um, yeah, so having that pressure come off is a good feeling because it's like, okay, I'm doing, I'm still. You got I'm, to a new ledge and you can sit for Yeah, like I'm in the zone. I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing right. Like I'm following through here. And then when that pressure then turns up instead of turned down and you expect it, it, it just doesn't feel good. You know? mm -hmm, for sure, man. Um, so that was a very useful, humbling uh, moment. And that was two years ago, you know, yeah. but um, yeah, so that was really useful and it just turned everything, all of my like, well, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this happen. Um, it turned all of that from uh, me just uh yeah expecting that to happen to being grateful and moving into every relationship every communication every creative thing from a complete place of appreciation right and that was a great teaching because it made me uh it mapped over to life of course where yeah. it went from me like well this better happen or else i'm gonna have to like really grind it's like no i'm going to do everything i can to make it happen and we'll be grateful for the chance to be able to make this happen and you know, in my life or, or someone else's or whatever. Yeah. Um, you said that there were two. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that the, um, as far as from the actual book goes, is really learning uh, how to organize and 
communicate big, challenging ideas in very simple, concise ways. Yeah. Um, and it's its own art, man. It absolutely. It absolutely is. And then organizing it in a way that, um, makes sense to someone who isn't you. Right. You know, it's interesting. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, getting out of your head and like, it's so, it's so strange. It's like the curse of knowledge thing, the pinker thing. Sure, man. Like, all right, how do I pretend I don't know anything about what I'm <laughs> right. <laughs> talking about? But here? also not treat them like an idiot too. Right. Like it's exactly. like placed in the middle. And yeah, I find that the only way to really connect to that point is you just have to communicate a lot. Mm-hmm. You just have to constantly be trying to communicate these ideas and you start to see the patterns of like where people get stuck or where people's eyes glaze over because you're talking down to them, mm-hmm. you know? And I think the podcast is probably a great way for you to constantly be honing that, like, what's that sweet spot? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was for the podcast. I mean, that's ultimately, like, what I I realized that where all the the book stuff came from was, you know, I started the podcast because I thought it'd be fun. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) And then it is. Yeah. but I was, you know, it's four years. Just the last week was the four-year anniversary. Of Congratulations, the man. Thanks. You and have two babies now. That's right. Um, that one's, I don't know. I feel like the podcast at this point is like a teenager. It's gone to college. Yeah, it's an adult. It's doing its own thing. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Um, I, I just uh, busted out of jail whenever it <laughs> gets arrested. Um, but yeah, I started because I thought it'd be fun. And uh, I just like oh well you know aubrey's audience was all hit me up online and was like yeah. hey you should start a podcast and then i'm like well i got these cool friends and we talk interesting shit anyway might as well this would be cool yeah so i started doing it and the more that i just talked about my own experience and my life and how i um you know worked through or or thought through or the ideas or tactics or kind of key turning notions that helped me get through certain periods of my life, the more I began to hear from people who are listening to the show and they were like, hey, uh, I'm experiencing that now or I was experiencing that or whatever. And how you described it helped me get through and to the other side of the thing. And it made me realize that one, the issues I had experienced in my life weren't just me issues. They're universal, for for the most part, universal human experiences. Yeah. The other was that I could, I'm in an interesting position to not only be able to share my map with other people, but also to get real data on right. what those things are. Yeah. Are people are like, what are the most common things? Same thing with meditation, you know, because of the meditation course, all those people hitting yeah, me up and just constantly, there was a period there where it was like intense, just like the amount of transmissions I was getting from people uh asking about meditation or questions or places where they're at so i got this very good data set of what the issues are and so that's one of my favorite reasons or that's one of my favorite aspects about social media is that if you come at it with an intention like we are in such a great position as like teachers or like helpers than like professors were Mm -hmm. 20 years ago you know because they do not they did not, they could not get the feedback. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very, so useful to be able to put that into the book and uh, put it into a way where you're building a bridge from knowing to doing, where it's not only just the information that 
you can read and smile and feel good about, but you can actually then take that and deploy it in your life where you can feel real change and alter your future in the way that you want to. Absolutely. I'm going to pause it right here because Aubrey just walked in and I think he's going to need to do things. Oh. And so I think that the real question that comes out of all of this is now that you actually have a pretty intimate idea of what it takes to create a book, would you want to create another one? Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's such a fun, uh, it's such a, a beautiful journey. And, and I, I was able to learn so much about myself during the process. I mean, I, and also ultimately, I just love creating stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm, um, what's funny is that this uh, fellow, Jonathan Fields, that does the Good Life Project, he was on my podcast. And because of that, I was looking at his, his spark type thing that he came up with. It's like, what is the archetype of your, what, what type of archetype are you? And by understanding that, it will spark your purpose or help you understand how you can thrive or whatever. Interesting. And I did mine and it was the main one was the maven, which is the person that goes out and like learns as much as they can about everything. And then the subtype of that was the creator. And it makes total sense. Yeah. You know, it's What's like, a maven? I've, I've never heard of that word. I don't know. It's, huh. <laughs> but that's, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. The maven and the creator. And so, um, it was interesting is the clarity I got from taking that little quiz, which is just a little online quiz, you yeah. know, um, was that it makes complete sense. Cause that's what I've always done is I go out and absorb as many ideas and things as I can, because I have a relentless natural curiosity because yeah. I want to understand and continue to deconstruct and integrate, you know, what it means to be human for myself and others. But after I fill up the reservoir, I then can empty the reservoir by creating something based on right. what I've absorbed. And then after I'm done, I go back to the soaking up again. Yeah, man. And so it's kind I'm of the a, same way. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I just love making stuff based on where, you know, where, where I'm at, what I'm feeling. And, and, uh, I a hundred percent, it's up to, it's up to the listeners. If I, you know, like really you asked me if I would write another book, if, if they support the book, then yes. Like right. I would love For to. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I get to, that's the thing. Yeah. And so you are now for sure in a stage where you're refilling the reservoir? Uh, well, hypothetically, I, I'm being drained drastically by just my schedule right now. For sure, man. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm looking forward to thinking that I'm going to take a break at the end of the year, but actually not and in kicking things into an even higher gear. Is <laughs> that's why I'm scheduling a vacation now. Yeah. That way it's built in. I find that um my best ways of uh like after I've created something, like the way that I fill it back up is psychedelic experiences in nature, just being in nature, some type of vacation where I get out of my daily routine and then reading books that I fucking love to read. Mm -hmm. And then also watching movies I love. Like those are kind of my main ways to fill myself back up. What are your ways like after you've given birth to a big project <laughs> like how do you feel yourself back up i think for me the two most restorative things are one doing like nothing like just hanging out at home and just like resting which it sounds weird but but what, what does that really look like like i could literally and i do i can lay down like on my couch or just in on on my bed or something 
And I would just lay there for like hours. Wow. And it's almost like, I don't know, it's almost like half meditation, for half sure. um, like just opening the, it's like I just open the, the channel or the spigot or whatever and start having the river of information goes by. And I'm like, huh. And I'll just go do that forever, you know. Huh. Um, I'll do it until I'm interrupted. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, so someone asked me what my favorite, what my hobby was, or my favorite hobby. And I was like, being like sitting down and laying down and looking at the ceiling and being left alone for hours at a time. <laughs> I love that. So, yeah. Um, but then also traveling, like going to a foreign country, love traveling other places. That's yeah. very um, in, immediately restorative to me because it like, forces you out of your patterns yeah and then you get to just uh there's something about like that that's really exciting to me like i just love experiencing different ways of living and that just re very recharges me like in a, a particularly intense way yeah it's remarkable how much like my intuition can feel how important it would be for me personally to just lay down without doing anything and just allowing like my mind to just decompress all mm -hmm. the fucking information that I've been feeding it. And I can just see that like, I haven't allowed myself to do that in a long time. Yeah. Do you meditate? I do every day, but right. I, I've, I've had stuff happen in my life in the last six weeks where basically like, I felt like I was getting to like new depths a couple of months ago, like where I was like, falling deeper and deeper into like just this non-attached awareness and being able to see how my mind like just like spark and spread and it was like trackable for the last six weeks really all my practice has been is just having self-compassion mm. for like just how activated the monkey mind is like <clears throat> without getting into the details to respect other people's privacy like i've just been mulling over specific situations that have happened that I don't have closure on that I don't think I will ever acquire closure on mm -hmm. and my meditations have just been just having self-compassion for the fact that like I'm I can feel that I'm not dropping below the monkey mind mm -hmm. you know and I and I do between 10 and 20 minutes every morning like before I start my day um yeah but I know that my mind is asking me like hey man just just chill. Yeah. Do you have time to go for half an hour every once in a while in the morning? I could. And the reason I don't is because, and it's it's funny, when I was reading your book, you you fucking crushed it. It's it's this low, almost electrical hum of go, go, mm -hmm. go, <laughs> go. Yeah, it's and, weird, isn't it? Yeah. And so I have this story of like, I can't do 30 minutes in the morning. I have all these things I have to do, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But I for sure could. Uh, I would suggest giving that a shot because there's this, and, and I do list it out in the book a little bit, but there's this, um, what I found just through my own experience, these different tipping points where five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And what happens, like 20 minutes is really when you, you know, 15 to 20 minutes is when you get there. Right. <laughs> yeah, man. I know so, that too. So then spending 10 minutes in the space mm -hmm. is really worth the time. Like yeah. your, your return on investment goes through the roof. For sure. 
and so when you're in a particularly monkey mind type of space, like dropping in for that extra 10 minutes, uh, I think you'd find yeah a lot of benefit from that. It's curious. I don't think I've ever talked to you about like, what does your personal practice look like? Yeah. Um, Which is so wild that we've never talked yeah, about Yeah, it is that. funny. And that, uh, yeah, so it's basically, it has evolved and changed a lot over the last 20 years, mm -hmm. of course. Um, now it has basically the first five-ish minutes, five to 10 minutes are just me relaxing, blowing off the steam of the day, getting settled, you know? So this is in the evening? In the morning. Okay. And then the second 10-ish minutes are completely visionary. So my meditation is like highly psychedelic in, in its visionary qualities. So then I'll move into the space where it's basically like an ayahuasca visualization for 10 minutes. And it is, is this being produced by your will or is it something that just spontaneously it arises like wow. as my body settles and i get like as i'm doing that decompression and getting dialed in then it just unfolds mm. um against my will uh but i not to go too far on a tangent here but i tend to think that after so much meditation and poking and stretching my brain in that space for so long so many times that I feel like, and you know this you know, better than anyone, like your subconscious is this abstract symbol structure. It's all these fragments of symbols. And in order for us to process the, and that's really the root of what we are, right? In order for us to understand ourselves, those fragments and symbols arise through the threshold into a conscious mind. Yeah. So our conscious mind is where our intellectual mind is and where our self-reflective mind. So when it comes up through the subconscious into the conscious, then our aware conscious mind can observe that right. and begin to piece those things together and integrate right. you know, with itself what it is trying to understand. You know, our brain's trying to tell itself stuff. It's really All weird. All day, yeah. It's, yeah, it's and, what dreams are too. And so, exactly, exactly. And so it's like, that's why in the book I put that you meditate every night when you sleep, I'm just gonna show you how to do it while you're awake. Yeah. You know, and it's because, <laughs> yeah. And it's because like the, when you're sleeping, your subconscious is doing the thing like you were just talking about, but the trick and the difference is doing that while you're awake is having agency right. to be a part of the witness of that yep. process. So you get the other hemisphere happening and going on Amen. while yeah. you're awake. So, um, I was listening to Mike Tyson and Snoop's podcast yesterday. Oh, I haven't listened to that. <laughs> and while while Mike Tyson was talking, Snoop kept going, speak on it, speak on it. I was like, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. He said, amen, it made me think about that. Um, I love that. So uh, anyway, yeah. So I think that the highly visionary qualities of my meditation are because I think that that perhaps in my meditative space, that threshold is either it's thin or my subconscious and conscious mind are rather aligned. Right. And so it's a, it's a simple and, and easy pass through. Right. So I'm able to gain that, that integration quickly and yeah. easily, and it comes in a visual form, like in a dreamlike form for me. And what's remarkable is like <clears throat> the way the psyche works on one level to protect the ego is it stifles the symbols mm -hmm. if it doesn't feel that the ego could handle it. Yeah. But it's almost like every time that you sit down and you show your psyche, like I won't react. 
I will just <clears throat> witness. Then the psyche is like, oh, they're ready. Okay, yeah, yeah let's fucking bring it all let up. Let the juice loose. Yeah, let the juice loose. I like that. <laughs> Speak on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so that's really useful. That period for me um, is where many of my ideas come from. Yeah. Uh, many of my insights and clarifications, and it makes total sense as to why that would be. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you have like a pad of paper near you? No, but uh, there's one. Well, I mean, technically, yes, there's one on my console. You know, I could reach back and probably grab it, but uh, you just have faith that you'll be able to have. Yeah, access to I have, I'm yeah, good yeah. at being able to remember things that are important. Yeah, um, and so I will. After I'm done, I will I will generally write those things down. Or often, I've gotten to where I just do them. Like, I'll wow. get up and do them because I want to bring that spirit into yeah, the thing as opposed to like, well, let's write that down. And then two weeks from now, whenever I'm completely disconnected from the feeling <laughs> of the thing, let's do it then. Yeah. It's like, no, let's just do it right now. Yeah. Um, it's like that that uh, rather w will remain nameless but mysterious email that i sent recently that has highly charged potential right man. it was like during my meditation it was like why don't you just do this real quick and i was like oh all right and i just did it and then 10 minutes later yeah. it was reciprocated um so then the the finishing part of my uh meditation is what i call the watcher and i, I put mm -hmm. that in the book too yeah um and that is just simple complete no mind practice uh, and for anyone who isn't familiar with meditation that's or that state of meditation, it is, in my opinion, the, it's the, the clearest and most realized form of meditation in that it's what everyone is trying to get to, I think. Right. And it's sort of, I think, the, almost the characterization of meditation that is sitting, breathing uh, with, with no intent no right no intellectual paddling of the boat at all just pure awareness of course thoughts arise to a degree but they become so slow and so fluid that your body is a complete harmony and rest and balance your mind is integrated into you know the body the present moment you almost feel as if your mind is like uh turns into a gas or a cloud or something to where you're just there and you really take your hand off of the the sailboat as it is and just everything's just happening and um i describe it as like whenever you're aware of th that trying to do a, a guided meditation or some type of practice would is too much right even thinking about doing right. a thing is too much it's when you're looking out of your eyes and the world is coming and reflecting into your eye holes and you're aware of it happening from above so it's interlocking above that's the watcher and it's purely just witnessing the cyclical feedback of your awareness yeah i've I feel that it's <clears throat> when the storytelling part is just gone. And it's just. Yeah. It's even funny. It's even talking about it. It drew my mind halfway into that state. Yeah. I felt that. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> yeah. And it's, it's interesting how few times I've touched that 
place, but that <clears throat> looking into that abyss even once, like it, it fundamentally changes you mm -hmm. forever. Yeah. Now, do you think abyss is a good, is that what you feel it is? Um, no, but abyss is like the most powerful word that I know that can convey what feels like the magnitude of that experience. Okay, but, yeah. But abyss is not the quality. <clears throat> right on. I was know? just curious, because abyss often has a, a, especially with Anishian, it's got a <laughs> scary quality. For sure. It. So I wondered yeah. if you felt there was like, when you feel that space, yeah, for sure. is there no. a fear to it at all? No. No, okay. No, it's a... Uh... <clears throat> It for sure, yeah. It's uh, you know, I can feel my mind want to use positive emotional words to describe mm -hmm. it, but I also know that that's not accurate. That's yeah. not it. It's it. and that those words mean everything to different right. to everyone. Like I said, negative space on this podcast I was doing. I was talking about cultivating negative space, and the person was like, "Well." It's also it's positive space. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's not uh, what I mean. Yeah, it's it is it is yeah. empty space that is positive. <laughs> it's a smiling empty space. And so, <clears throat> do you have a timer for half an hour, or is it is it this is so intuitive now that you just sit down, experience, and um, it up? I like to listen to the music that I create. Yeah, like while I meditate, Fuck since yeah. I can. Let it, it's like I would do the same <laughs> yeah. thing if I could. <laughs> it's like a chef making himself a good meal. Yeah. You know? Um, I love that. And man. so I make them in lengths, 20 or 30 minutes. Depending yeah. on how, so I just can put the, the track on the binaural beat and uh, and listen to that. So it's 30 minutes. I, there's no worrying about anything. Nice. Um, and I will say is that for people that um, order the book, when is this podcast going to come out? Um, probably, I don't have a calendar in front of me, but um, probably like the 14th. Of September? Yeah. Okay, so good. Um if you pre-order the book, there's bonus stuff that you'll get. And so there's a uh, ebook that I wrote called The Five Points of Peace, which uh, there's also an audiobook version of that. And uh, it's basically a meditation supplement guide to where it's got these five qualities, five focusing practices that you can do in your meditation to cultivate peace. Um, and then uh, the other things you'll get is a couple of binaural beats and nice. some guided meditations. But one of the binaural beats is um, like out of all the ones I've ever made, I made it for a project actually a few months ago and it came out, it just, you know, it's a combination of a little bit of chance, a little bit of me being in the zone, uh, a little bit of inspiration, all those elements that you happen to make something really awesome. But it's like, it's so next level that I actually had to work out how I could, um, I've just, I've used it meditating in my own practice every day for months now because it's so awesome. And I don't say it's so awesome as in like not trying to be superlative, but it resonates and is so effective for me that it's just on this other plane. Yeah. I was trying to think of like how I wanted to, to put that out there. And I thought the only way to put out something that potent and that awesome and personal to me, I think, and since it's been with me throughout this whole process yeah. is putting it for free as a, a bonus if you pre-order the book. So if you go yeah. to nowsway.com and you pre-order it, you'll get that binaural beat for free just when you get it. What do you call it? It's called Now. <laughs> nice. Sort of like Speak on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm that I'm just stoked for people to get that because it's like it's served me like in an impossibly 
awesome yeah. type of way. And so after your meditation, do you purposefully have empty space because you know that you tend to get like dictations or instructions and then you go do that thing? Uh, no, I mean, I, if I, if things arise that I want to do, I do that. Um, if there's, you know, my schedule is clear. Yeah. Uh, otherwise if I don't have anything that I need to go do or any in real powerful insights that mm -hmm. came, then I just move about my business. For sure. I don't build in at time. Po positive space. I don't build in positive space hey, afterwards. Um, and do you meditate in the evening? No. Is it, yeah. Generally, uh, Sometimes when I'm laying in bed, like before I fall asleep, right. I will do a little type of business. Um, one of those <laughs> I put in the book called Floating in Space is yeah. a little practice, mm -hmm. which is really one of the best things. You know, you don't even have to call it meditation. It's like, it's basically laying in bed, turn the lights off, everything's turned off, you're about to go to sleep, and it's just breathing in a nice, calm, slow breath, and then exhaling and trying to relax every muscle in your body your arms legs face everything as much as you can taking another breath in and then trying to relax all your body muscles and everything even more and just making it a game to see how yeah. many how far it's interesting if you actually try it with sincerity how much can you let go yeah how much can you what and with what nuance can you release yeah everything and if you do it enough, you will feel like you're floating. It's kind of trippy. That's why I call it floating in space. Yeah, I've I've played around with that technique and I find that when I do, it feels like my limbs are like descending into the bed and like my consciousness mm -hmm. is still above the bed. Yeah. Like my fucking just... And to be frank, um, I always stop because I get to the point where I get afraid. Mm. You know, because there's... I can feel that I, I've never had a quote-unquote out-of-body experience. Yeah, like, am I a Tool album cover right now? What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> I can feel that like the part of me that grew up very identified with the body and materialism is still like, nah, fam, mm. nah. Um, but now that I articulate that out loud, I want to go try it tonight. And just, yeah. Because like, you know, like, yeah. I know that there isn't a thing to fear. Like, there Once you do 5-MEO DMT, you recognize you come back. Yeah. You know, and so whatever practice I would do with my breath and my bed, like, I'm coming back. There is no thing to fear. No thing. No thing. Uh, that's, oh, no, this is your podcast, man. Go ahead. <laughs> um, have you ever formally studied hypnotism? <laughs> uh, formally? No. I, I have played with it. And yeah and practice it over the years. Um, back at my rooting around through the consciousness jungle years. For sure. Uh, and it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I definitely, I what I gleaned from that, I put into my music writing to like use the, the listener expectation of what will happen next and the pulsation of rhythmic things that are happening in music to create hypnotic effects. Yeah. Because the way you were describing that technique sounded and felt like hypnotism. Yeah, it's funny. One of my best friends has like thousands of the most fucked up, weird old records that mm -hmm. are like, you know, you, um, and a lot of the thing he's into just, just the funkiest because there's so much weird stuff out there from yeah. like the 50s and 60s and 70s. 
a lot of it's from Texas. There's actually a lot of weird stuff from Texas, like private press stuff, like mm. weird religious records that are oh, really yeah, far out. Yeah. Um, but he has all sorts of wacky stuff. Anyway, he has a whole stack of like medita- of a meditation, of uh, hypnotism records. And they always have, it's always like the classic token 50, 50s sounding guy's voice, you know? But is giving you meditation or fucking? <laughs> it's so coded. It's so coded into my it. linguistic bank. <laughs> He's giving you a hypnotism advice and directions, and yeah. they're really, really awesome. They're really weird. But it's funny whenever I hear myself, I'm like sounding like one of those guys when I'm talking about something like that. <laughs> yeah. That meditation technique. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, what, weird. It's like one can hear one of those old records and go, God, this is freaky and strange and funny and then you're like oh wait i'm doing the same shit <laughs> this is 50 years yeah. later <laughs> and i i think what's interesting is it's like the part of you that is the teacher doesn't even get to decide but knows that that thing that you learned from that is effective yeah you know and like it's effective and the intent behind it is not to get someone to do something they don't want to do it's to help someone do the thing that they want to do right you know and i'm I'm curious, did you ever use like self hip self hypnotization um purposefully? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I did um one of the <laughs> again, this is from the the uh, foraging in the wilderness yeah. period of my experience. What was that time frame for you? Like the uh, age l- l- started in the late teens and really was going hard in, until the early twenties. Um and so one of, and that was like everything from, you know, Crowley to, you know, Sufi mysticism yeah, and on and on and on. One of those techniques was uh, mirror gazing. Mm-hmm. I got it from William Burroughs. Uh, and it is a weird, weird technique, man, where you go in the mirror. Anyone listening can do this. Yeah. Uh, if they're not familiar, which probably can imagine that <laughs> <laughs> many people are. You got so a weird audience, bro. Yeah. Um, go into the mirror, not going to, well, yes, actually, hey. yes, go into the mirror, <laughs> but go to the mirror, um, put your nose right up next to the mirror. and then Oh, I haven't done it like this. Ah, so you go, go to the mirror, put your nose there, and then stare at the end of your nose in the mirror. Hmm and allow your eyes to unfocus as you're staring at this spot. Yeah. And uh, begin to like, like a magic, uh, one of those, uh, the magic image things where it looks like a bunch of static, but if you look at it long enough, you see like, which those never, I could never do those. Oh, I for sure can. Could you? Yeah. I could do it on this wall. Oh, well, me too. But I mean, the ones that are like the posters, they're like the magic eye poster. Like, look oh, at this no, funky, no, no. like yeah. static. And then if you cross your eyes, you'll see a boat or whatever. I don't ever see the thing that the thing intends you to see. But yeah. if I let my eyes unfocus on any type of weird surface, I will see what my unconscious mm. is. Yeah. I'm always like, whoa, man, I see it. And I, yeah, you see the boat? I'm like, no, no, I see all this crazy static yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, yeah. And then you, yeah, it's a you continue looking deeper and deeper into the unfocusing of your yeah of your eyes and then you get this crazy like portal into your own consciousness there was this technique that was so 
in the Eleusinian mysteries, the idea was, and you know, this is, you know, anthropologists and historians trying to recreate this after thousands of years, but they think that they drank this ergot uh, brew, mm-hmm. which um, had LSD-like qualities, and they would walk into this cave, and the cave was structured in a way that by the time you walked for like two to three hours, you know, when it was really starting to peak, you got to this point where there was a hierophant, you know, like a priestess or like a guide. Mm-hmm. And the technique, one of the techniques that she would teach you was how to look at this slab of like weird rock and to defocus your eyes. And then, you know, like the gods would come talk to yeah. you. Yeah. And um, that just seems like a so, modern same thing version of that. Yeah. Also someone who's like looking into a crystal ball. It's yeah. Exactly same I tr- yeah. And like, one thing that I'm really passionate about is like exploring all these esoteric um, techniques and trying to find like the the neurophysiological and phenomen phenomenological facts mm-hmm. about like why that works and just like try to translate it for people now because Same. it's like <clears throat> it's not all bullshit and right. if you only put on the glasses of science you're just going to be so, you're just going to miss so much. Yeah. What's yeah. That's on? what I, I like to try and whenever something like that arises, uh, uh, you know, someone says, Hey, do you ever, I get asked all sorts of weird questions. I'm constantly. Sure. <laughs> the actual hustle. Yeah. People are like, dude, I need you to show me how to look into a crystal ball or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's like first define what, you know, define the, the boundaries and actual meaning of, of why that thing could be right. tangible and relevant because the reason why something like that or mirror gazing or whatever it might be would be laughed at understandably mm-hmm. is because 99% of the people that are into it, it's almost like tarot cards or something. You, know, you, you bring that up at a Ted talk, everyone's like, get the fuck out of here. For sure. Um, give us our $8,000 and leave. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, but if you say, okay, well, hold on, let's talk about as you said, on a, on a neurological level, on a phenomenological level, what can be extracted from this? And let's define where we're at. Like I was against, not against, but just not interested in tarot cards forever. And then uh, a few friends of mine are like really into them. Okay. These people are not idiots. Right. (laughs) So let me try and figure out why and understand, like, let me just revisit this. Yeah. And it made me realize that, oh, this is just a type of self priming where these, each of these cards are a, an archetype or right. a, a some element of all of our minds. And if mm-hmm. you look at it, it's just like a reminder of, like, okay, I should, it's a good reminder to consider this part of yourself today. Yeah. It's almost like a mirror or something. Sure. That's one way to extract tangible information. A way to get diluted is to bust them out and be like, ooh, like, I'm, you know, right. this is definite truth. Because then you're just going the other way. Like right. to, to take tarot cards sure. or something like that, some mysticism, let's say, off the table as pseudoscience. Taking it as complete fact right. and magic is just as wrong and extreme as I looking agree. at it as pseudoscience. Yep. So you just look at it like, well, how, is, how can this be a tool that's realistic? Yeah. And I do think that it comes down to, and that's why pragmatism really saved my mind when I was in my early 20s. And it's, I can't know what the truth is 
but the best that I can do is use all these ideas as tools in the world and then just pay attention to the feedback that comes. And like right. anyone that I've ever met who buys all the way in to astrology or like tarot cards, I don't want to be like any of them. Yeah. And everyone that I know who completely takes it off the table, I feel like they're fundamentally missing something that feels like there's some depth there. And so it's like, okay, the way is in the middle. Um, have you ever eye gazed with somebody else for an extended amount of time? Uh, like not, intentionally what do you, what do you, to like intentionally to have like an altered experience. Yes, but um, <clears throat> I'm not a much of a fan. Mm -hmm. But I, I have tried it, and I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, what about it are you not a fan of? It's so much to ask of both people <laughs> yeah, yeah. to do it without it being contrived or weird or yeah because there's so many like implicit expectations or just yeah yeah and it's just like interesting um i i appreciate the intention and i know it's useful for some people but um it's real hard not to get douche chills right with you, it you, you know, know it's funny that you say that man um <laughs> Any girl that I've ever heard tell a story of like a woke bro asking her to do that on like a date, 100% of yeah. the feedback has been like, that was deeply uncomfortable. I did not enjoy it. I got, you know, I felt X, Y, and Z. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it for sure seems to be one of those things where you gotta be careful, you know? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and it's it's also so interesting how deeply uncomfortable most people are with eye contact mm -hmm. you know um what is your read or intuition on that like people that are uncomfortable with it yeah oh like, well I, I mean especially if they're like a friend of yours yeah you know well i think that it's a uh you know we can't be we can't see unless we are being seen and many people are carrying around so much anxiousness mm -hmm. and discomfort with who they are mostly because of the structure of our society in that our society is based upon marketing and advertising yeah man and so the you know i need to turn and flex the pain point from within the first two seconds of someone engaging with this thing to tell them what's wrong with them yeah. so that i can then offer them the solution to sell them this thing. Yeah. And because everything in our society is telling us how we could be okay if we bought a Ford Explorer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We could be okay if we wore these shoes or bought yeah. this thing or had this job or looked like this or whatever. And, you know, uh, I have a specific amount of empathy for women because yeah. it's times 10 for them yeah, times man. 50 yeah with body image with you know makeup and all the whole beautification situation um and you know if you actually talk to women about food their relationship with food it's heartbreaking yeah about like this whole transactional like well two days ago i ate this so i can't eat a bite of this right now because they have this pressure and this anxiety about their looks as if that's what gives them their value, yeah. which it's not, of course. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, because 
we're just born into a system and a society that tells us we are less than, you're less than, you're less than. And it's so fucking tragic that it's all happening because people want to make money. Yeah. Because because one less than 1% of people want to have a billion dollars for what reason, right? right? Wow. Anyway, so wow. everyone feels like they're not enough, man. Everyone feels... And also, you mix that with celebrity culture, that America is and we are... The thing that makes us so powerful is that we're good at making things famous mm -hmm. worldwide. We know how to do that. We know how to make things wow. famous. And yeah, so we know how to make false gods. Yeah, exactly. And slaughter them appropriately yeah, in public dog. view. Um, sacrifice wow. them. And so that's like the you know, outrage culture, uh, all this this type of stuff. Uh it's all PC culture or whatever. It's all like it's the biggest Mayan sacrifice. Wow, you're fucking me up. <laughs> Speak on it. <laughs> Damn. Well, it wouldn't be a podcast. It wouldn't be a real podcast with us if we didn't have at least one good brain stretch. Damn. Um but wow. um Mayan sacrificing, that is on some level what we are doing. Yeah. Yeah, wow. fatten them up, and then um, so anyway, so because of all of that, you know, God, we're, we we're feeling all day now. <laughs> <laughs> we feel like everyone feels like we're just we need something to be okay, and the thing is, is that that thing isn't attainable. Systemically, you can't have the things and the accomplishments that'll make you okay. If anything, and when you start to achieve a lot of the thing, those things, you only want more. Because you're feeling that, they, oh, I got some and they don't work. Now I got a taste for it. Yeah. Now I really going to try to, maybe if I can hold the whole ocean in my mouth, then I'll be, my thirst will be quenched. But it's not possible. And the tragedy is that, or a part of the tragedy is that the way our physiology is constructed is that when you get the thing that you thought would be the thing, there is a moment where if you're not aware, it feels like you did satiate mm -hmm. and then it evaporates. Yeah. And then because you feel like, oh, it I thought it worked for a moment. I just have to keep going. Yeah. I just have to get more. Yeah. But like, there is also, there's this weird thing that I find that like, in the midst of accomplishing a great, like personal goal, there's this underlying feeling of like emptiness, but not mm -hmm. bad emptiness, just like no mind. Mm -hmm. And then when I go through deep suffering, there's this feeling underneath it of like godly gratitude that isn't there when like I accomplished the big thing. Right. Which is a odd, I don't know if I've ever articulated that, but that that is um, a weird feedback from the universe that kind of fucks up the whole story. That the like, the, the most my life is drenched in meaning is when I feel like I'm gracefully going through suffering. Yeah. And that when I accomplish like the big goal, there's just this, it's not bad, but there's just this um, emptiness. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because one is topical, you know, one is almost like a veneer or something. One is intellectualized and the other is felt in the yeah. body, you know? So the the goal is like you have an idea that you'll be like you want to reach a thing intellectually, you know, not and I don't mean in a, a concept, but do you have thought the you know in your your math mind right. if I can do that, then I'll be if X, then feeling y. good, yeah. yeah. And when you do it, you're like, cool, <laughs> one plus one equal two. Now I need I three, did it. yeah, yeah. But if you're working on something internally, then that comes from 
the stomach from the core yeah you're actually purging and working something out in the body not just in the mind yeah um so back to eye contact um i think that many people are unaware of how uncomfortable they are with it because we don't like being looked at because we don't feel comfortable with ourselves because we live in a society where we're told we're not good enough and everyone is judging each other people judge each other constantly yeah and talk shit about it not you know not talk shit man it's a little too harsh but they're always like criticism and judgment of others is has become a form and maybe it always has been but it's a form of it's a commodity now where before it was a type of just the way the tribe was yeah maybe reality tv shows had something to do with that in the beginning but um it's become a way that people can instantly create an other and have like oh if you and i just you and me talk shit about someone else we're better we're well we have created a group right of two that can yeah we can cut them down so then we feel higher um and yeah, man. So because of all of that, uh, people, I, I find, I, I believe, or find it challenging to to be comfortable with eye contact. Yeah. Um, I personally, whenever I'm talking, I tend to look off because whenever I'm thinking, I think in the back of my mind. So I'm not actually yeah, looking that. at anything, but I'm unfocusing my eyes and I'm thinking, I'm like, my vision is going backwards, not forwards. So I'm like drilling deep into my consciousness. Um, and so hmm. it's funny to me whenever I, you know, as I've done more media stuff and I see like a video of myself talking about something, I'm like, oh, I look autistic a lot of times. Because I'll like go into this zone where I'm like, I'm like talking, I'm doing this number. I'm like, <laughs> like, like bouncing a little bit and yeah, like looking man. into, and I'm talking about something. But it's because I'm just like shutting off the, I'm going completely into my mind. Yeah. I find... And I have a couple of questions here. Um, I find that when I'm listening, the best way for me to listen with my whole being is to look <laughs> at their left eye. And mm. I don't know why that that is, but that when I'm talking, if I make, if I'm talking and I maintain eye contact while I'm talking, I feel like I'm forcing something. Yeah, and that's important too. That's important to understand. Yeah, because people aren't comfortable with it, you know, in general. And so, if you like, I I do that sometimes. Um, because if you're forcing eye contact, people feel like they're in trouble. It feels weird. Yeah, you yeah. don't want to. Yeah, it's not. It's not like fair to do to people. Right. Uh, I think if you feel how, where they're at with something, and if they're mixing it up, uh, then sure. then you mix it up because yeah. it's like sort of. Uh, it's almost like a courtesy, you know. I I agree completely, and that actually answers the question I was going to ask. Is there for sure are the people who have this like calm eye contact that's like it makes you feel warm. Mm-hmm. And then there are people that their eye contact, it feels like either they're about to fucking snap yeah, or some part of them like <laughs> wants to fucking kill you with their wokeness. Right. Oh, well, fortunately I haven't experienced that one in a while. It's fucking, but yeah. I mean, being around on it, there, there are some oh, people who sure, will like sure. walk into the cafe and it's like, you know how you can diffuse that man just with with silliness for sure yeah. for sure um what but because it's on it a lot of these people also have the meat suit where they could murder me you know so there's this weird like so it's just an interesting yeah they probably work in an office somewhere <laughs> yeah. they weigh 290 pounds and they're six foot five and they're pure muscle 
and they probably push a keyboard all day. Yeah. Good thing that they've got all of those muscles for that purpose that they're living. <laughs> so they're not going to deploy said thing upon yeah. you. And if they do, they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you want a criminal record? Yeah. <laughs> do you not yeah. think that, like, I'm Eric, motherfucker. Don't you think that all the other people in this building that know me are going to, like, help, help me? A little bit, yeah. Calm down. Um, the reason why they're like that in the first place, in most cases, is because they're massively insecure. And so, therefore, would probably not have the self-agency to even attack you, which is yeah. weird. Um, like, I'll turn myself into a human shield <laughs> <laughs> to protect myself. Um yeah. Um, my, one of my, I don't want to let this thought go because it's something that I'd like to share with you. One of my <laughs> dream, this may sound silly, but one of my dreams in life is to have F. Murray Abrams, who's an actor. I don't know if you know who that is. You would definitely recognize him. For sure, I'm sure. Um, he's like an older gentleman. He's probably, I think he's either, and I'm, I shouldn't even guess his nationality because, <laughs> uh, fuck it. I don't know. Um, but he, um, beautiful man, older guy, bald. He's got the horseshoe, you know, brown hair thing going on. Very angular face. Amazing kind of eagle eyebrow situation. Anyway, I want him to look at me like I'm a piece of shit. That's one of my big dreams. Like if I ever see him in public, I'm like, hey, will you look at me like I'm a total piece of shit for a minute? Because what you were talking about earlier about how maybe you feel some people's looks or whatever, or they look at you in a certain way. Right. As an actor, he is so good mm. at looking at someone and being like, you piece of shit. <laughs> like, you are nothing. Like, he can convey that with a glance yeah. so well that, yeah, whenever I see him, like, he's like, do you want a picture? I'm like, no, no, just look at me like I'm a piece <laughs> of shit. Ah, oh, that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> he's so good. We'll pull up the picture of him after we're done here so you can see, see what I'm talking about. That's fucking awesome. Um, the last kind of like thing that I want to explore mm -hmm. and we kind of talked about this at lunch was we all I mean there are a couple of people in my life that I can see that like there is a abnormal amount of like magic happening in mm -hmm. their life that <clears throat> like even being in my situation where I feel like I'm around people that are able to like warp reality to their whims th there are still some outliers that like <laughs> are fucking yes wild no, no. yeah you for sure are one but there's a couple of no no ones. yeah no for I, sure no no that was something completely <laughs> um, irrelevant and i'm just i'm curious what you think like is the difference in being between um the people who like it's just like synchronicity upon synchronicity just yeah. falls into their life yeah and then there's people that like truly feel at least as if they truly feel that they are trying their motherfucking hardest but mm -hmm. it looks like they're walking through molasses yeah and they just like they're always in accidents and they're always forgetting a thing or this horrible like it's like inverse synchronicity is happening to them yeah um, <laughs> no it's like it's synchronicity it's just bad synchronicity yeah dog <laughs> it's like yesterday whenever i was getting in the shower I went to go turn on the water and my elbow bumped the little like um, the sprayer that's like on a cable mm -hmm. like up oh, and it knocked off and it hit me on the head and then it turned on and sprayed in my face and I just started cracking up. <laughs> I was like, I wish I had that on video. <laughs> the bad synchronicity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like how do you conceptualize like 
the part of your brain that wants to kind of extract the information out of <clears throat> having witnessed that? Like, how do you make sense of that? Yeah, I think that I do think about that sometimes. Uh, and I, I, as you mentioned, we were sort of talking about earlier is that I do, well, I will pause. I like to try and pause sometimes and put myself like an original mind mode to where I'm like, okay, who was I five years ago? And what was my life like? And if I was living the life I'm living now five years ago, or if I had a snapshot of what this would be, how would I feel about that? Oh my God. And it's like, yeah, exactly. That's the appropriate response to that inquiry. Hopefully yeah. is, oh my God, not, oh my God, but oh my God. Yeah. Uh, and so I do think sometimes I'll pause and, and I'll think, what has happened to me? What throughout my life, like, and I will realize that I am a person that magical shit just happens to over and over. Like, to me, it's magical to me. It seems like it exceeds my almost my imagination of why I thought it's possible. Yeah. For example, uh, whenever I was, I mean, I fucking went and met Robert Anton Wilson. Right? Yeah, man. When I was 21. God damn it. And it's like, that's bananas. That The way that that worked out, it, it doesn't even make any sense when I think about how it all unfolded and how I met him and ended up being able to interact with him and you know learn from him. Yeah. That's magical, right? right? For that to happen, for that to be the one thing that happens in someone li someone's life, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool, pretty life changing. Yeah. Then, my like, one of my biggest artistic heroes at the time in my early twenties. Well, no, well after that, before that, there I was touring and playing music. There was this opportunity of this, you know, this band. It was another big thing. Uh, I was able to go like hang out and tour with this band, and it was like one of those another dream comes through, come true things. Then, a few years later, this artist that I was just obsessed with. Carson Nikolai's German artist. Um, he was doing a residency and I he picked me. He picked like there's five people out of hundreds and hundreds. Picked me to go stay with him for a month and, and like just hang with him as an artist, like an artist residency thing. Wow. Again, that was another magical thing where I was like, how how does that happen to someone where like Robert Anton Wilson? He was my three times, a, yeah. A hero. I go, this this band, I get to go tour with those. I was like in love with those guys' music. Then this artist I'm obsessed with, I get to go live with him for a month. And then it's like things like that continue to happen. Then even up to the future where it's like, I start a podcast for fun and all of a sudden it like turns into this thing that I had no idea it could be. be. Then I get a book deal on my first try from the biggest publisher in the entire world. And it's like, uh, and then we, both of us are waiting for the next. We already know what the next one is going to be, right? <laughs> Just being patient for it. Yeah. And it's like, I think about that, like how, in you know, one, I look at that and I think, man, I'm so fucking lucky and have so much gratitude that those cool, those benchmarks in my life, have, or, you know, like I met my wife whenever I was 22, just completely ran. She lived in Germany for 10 years, moved to Austin out of nowhere, literally randomly picked it off a map, and then 
she, we met each other on the first day she was in Austin. Whoa. And it's like, you know, it's like stuff like that happening over and over again. To me, those things seem huge. To someone else, they could seem like nothing. Or they're like, yeah, but that's not, you didn't make $10 million or you didn't whatever. Right. Uh, whatever the thing, you didn't get in the NFL. Like, that's the thing. But to me, these things were all really important. And they really were like, they were my dreams. They were at the moment, the top of the mountain or whatever. And so I think like, well, how does that stuff happen to me? But then people who I have known all along that time have not really had any of that stuff yeah. happen. So what is the... To your question, like, what is the difference there? Um, and maybe a part of it is just being lucky. Maybe a part of it is... Uh, I don't think it's that. What's that? I don't think it's luck. Yeah, I, I don't really think it is either. I think I was going to say maybe part of it's tenacity. Because I personally, I have an inexhaustible amount of tenacity to achieve or to do what I want to do. Right. I'm very lucky in that I, maybe it is lucky or it's, maybe it's causality like we were talking during our break. Um, it's like, it's not, it, because of my circumstances, the way that my relentless inexhaustible tenacity, it happened to be pointed into something good where I'm like trying to do good right. with that. And that's where my like, in almost insanity with my drive goes towards just yeah. doing good shit for others and myself. Um, Do you, go on. I was going to say, it's like, it's almost like I've, I took the, the um, Yogi kind of Gandhi type of thing and I squashed it into a one for one where it's like, Solve this about myself, share it with other people. Solve this about myself, share it with other people. Yeah. Get myself right here. Get yourself right. Get myself. And it's just this process, you know? Yeah. And, but if I really was like pressed to come up with a reason for that, and like I know people, we both know people who it's clear that their attraction or their magic or whatever is way, they're reaching things way bigger than what you, you or I have experienced um but i wonder if it's not levels of self-awareness mm. because the more i think about this whole thing and i've been talking about doing all these interviews you know for like my or you know this is an interview but doing all the you know i have done a lot of interviews over the last month or, or podcasts with new people or people i don't know and they ask me about my life they asked me about just how things unfolded. I find people are curious about how I like am where who I am today, including myself. <laughs> but uh, so I've been talking about it a lot. I've been talking about yeah. my past a lot. I've been talking about all this stuff, and it's made me reflect on some of it. Um, and it does seem, or what I thought what I've been thinking it seems is that levels of self-awareness is kind of it yeah. with a lot of the stuff. And when you said that it, it resonated. Because you can't achieve a thing if you don't know about it. You can't change yourself if you don't know that you have something that needs to be changed. Yeah, You can't 
go for a goal unless you know what the goal is. And perhaps through a raising of your self-awareness and an increase in your mental clarity, you're able to understand yourself and the world more clearly, more objectively, with less narrative that's fictional about yourself and about the world, and then identify something you would like to interact with in that world, and then find the necessary pathways to get there. And confidence comes is reinforced by doing it one time. Like, oh, it's possible, right? Like, and then again, oh, shit, again, again, yeah. and then it becomes a skill. Another part of me, this I don't know if this will be interesting or not, but like, if you almost take it, so you know Noah, right, Lampert. So he's yeah. been like way into Neville Goddard, the uh, Christian mystic dude. Mm -hmm. It's basically kind of like the secret, but it's like attracting and manifesting your reality using your consciousness. Um, and whenever I talk to Noah about that, I was telling him some of the stuff I've done in my life. And he was like, dude, you're describing all the stuff this mystic guy was talking about. And it was like blowing his mind, it was blowing my mind which that's basically every time Noah and I talk, we have that. And um, also as a side note, that dude has gone out of his way since the first time that Raghu Marcus introduced me to him to help me selflessly over and over and over and be encouraging. And like, before we even knew each other, he's always been in fuck yeah mode. What yeah, can man. I do for you? Like, just, just as a, a side note, like, what a guy. Speak on it. Continues to do so. Was doing so yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, beautiful when you find people like that in the world and so um anyway it's inspiring uh and so yeah man talking about that stuff i went back and i was like thinking more about how each of those things that i described earlier how they unfolded and i thought back to like how i charged those things up in my consciousness yeah how i started to kind of vibrate my my the nebulous cloud of my awareness into that direction and then connect with the experience and it has been like i have visualized the thing unfolding in my mind as i'm wanting to have it come into fruition and the resonance of that thing happening in my mind and it unfolding like it's clear as day like i'm living the experience through my eyes in my mind's eye I've like done that in the past in each of those things I'm talking about because I thought I was doing it because I was like, oh, well, this would be really cool. And like, I'm going to visualize it unfolding because I'm excited about it. And I'm kind of seeing what that reality could be like. And then I will feel like a, almost like a, a magnetic shift in the polarity of my feet on the ground and the earth rotating and the clouds rotating and like yeah man the the cosmos and the stars everything i feel this kind of like warp thing i've noted that like and every time i felt that thing i've known this is something special and it's going to happen yeah and i felt that was the robin Antel wilson thing like i knew i it's a feeling I can't, that's the best way I can describe it. It's like, I felt that and I was like, this is going to happen. I'm going to yeah. meet him. I felt that with the touring thing. I felt that with the, uh, I had an explicit one with the artist residency thing. I was like walking 
uh, just like my dog or something at the time. And I remember like feeling that so heavy that I sat down on the curb. Like, and I was like, holy shit. I just felt that crazy, like, like almost like I had a transmission from another dimension that was like yeah, man. a high five. And I felt that magnetic polarity shift and was like, whoa, I think this is gonna happen. And then the dream I had that night was me jumping off this cliff into this like crazy green field of like of grass that was like this infinity, infinity. Yeah. Um, and then with uh even with the binaural beats thing. I had that same feeling again whenever I was creating the first batch that me and Aubrey put out on his site. Whenever I was creating those, I felt that feeling happening while I was creating those. I was like, this is like an impact tremor into the future. I can yeah. feel it. And it's just, and with the book, like with the third version of the book I wrote, I felt the same thing with the book deal. Like as I, we did mine, it, we did, it, it had a lot of, publishers interested and then ended up doing it with auction so it was like basically any publisher you could put in an offer by this day and time and i remember before like leading up to that um i felt that gravity and that magnetic magnetic shift and i was like i know this is going to work out with penguin like i can feel i i would bet everything on it i just yeah. fucking feel it and likewise with the undisclosed thing i have felt that in massive new ways hmm. recently over the last week or two and um, I don't know really like what to make of it. You know, what do you make of that? There's a part of me that um, like the idea that I've been playing with lately is that our potential self already exists in some non-linear way that I don't understand. And um like we are experiencing the remembering of it mm -hmm. and that like we can get so lost in the sauce of life where we aren't like in accordance with the song that it's singing almost to like pull us through time but that the more that we let go of our karma or our bullshit or whatever you want to call it the more we can hear its hook and like those synchronicity moments are like, a, you know, like the crescendo of one of the acts mm -hmm. of the song. Mm -hmm. And that like, I have this very visceral feeling that I've only had the courage to really connect to the last couple of years as my life has started to have more of these magical moments where it's like, um, I'm being pulled towards a thing. And if I'm being honest, I'm just getting back to what feels like this thing moving through me and there feels like there's less free will as I go more towards it. And, um, it, it feels like a godlike thing is pulling me and that the, these synchronicity moments are like when I really catch the song. Yeah. And, um, for me, there's not like a shift feeling, but just this deep, like calm, that is so non-ordinary in my daily life. And mine's almost always when I look at the moon, mm -hmm. like it's almost always a, at night. It's almost always a full moon. And it's like, I can't even, I don't even get to decide, but I hear myself make a wish that feels like it's really myself telling me, like that's the next thing. Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's, so, that's the gift of prayer. That's what Go, no, Neville Goddard calls the gift of prayer. 
And what's wild is those prayers that have that feeling are the ones that I don't feel I choose. Yeah. Which is a really odd thing to describe, but it feels like it comes out of me and I witness and I'm like, oh, like I remember I had one and it was, I want to help Aubrey spread his philosophy. And this was like four years ago. Mm. And like, you know, it's fucking here. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I don't know what to make of those things. I, I could see, you know, you're talking about throwing a, almost if there's a grappling hook going into the future and you're just kind of pulling that. Or, well, that the way that I feel is that I'm being, I've been caught by it. Yeah. And yeah. It's already Strong, in the man. future and it's pulling me towards it with like a song. Right. And it's my ability to hear my potentials song and mm -hmm. potential is a weird word, but like there feels like there is a me that is much greater than me at the end of my life. And it's just the image I have is it's sitting on the edge of a cliff. It's evening and the sun is setting and it's just singing a song mm -hmm. and like, it's it's my dance here to dance to it towards it yeah you know yeah and i think that the more that you can get out of your own way in like a very literal type of sense uh and it really goes back to the greeks you know the notion of clearing away like we have the full-blown fully realized amazing eric deep in there but you got to clear away all the stuff to let it allow it to be Amen. born into the future. Yeah. And to me, a big, a, a good turning point was accepting what is like it with myself. Like, and that doesn't mean accepting, uh, not, not growing anymore, but it means allowing myself to admit relax into my own being and and let all that stuff unfold without trying to twist it up or shake it up or double think it or whatever and really allow that butterfly to climb out of the cocoon of my chest and become another Corey and then so on and so on and yeah. so on and the more that i do that it seems that the more of those magical things tend to happen. And honestly, I, I feel very grateful and, and just, I mean, I'm lucky or whatever. I don't know how to describe it, but I have felt more amidst the, that spirit, like for longer periods of time than ever before the yeah. last like month, even I felt like it's, it's like I'm experiencing, like whenever people talk about bliss in a cartoony way, it's like I'm experiencing that constantly. Like I've been in these long stretches of like eight hours at a time, like every day where I'm just in this zone. And what's interesting about that is that people notice it too. Yeah. You know, like yesterday I walked into a store and the guy working there was like, hey, hey, man. I was like, hey. And he's like, uh, I like your glasses. <laughs> <laughs> like he had to come up with something. Yeah. I was like, thanks. But it's like people would just feel something like a, a you know, a vibe. Yeah. And they, you know, want to hook up with it. You know? Yeah. And, um, anyway, yeah, it's, uh, 
so I, I think that like, whatever that is, um, I, I'm very much, I, I appreciate that, that it's coming through in that way, but it does feel more like letting go and more like it does allowing the future to unfold and being there. Like, where do you get involved? That's the question. Where do you get involved? And I think that, that we're working, it seems counterintuitive, but so the thing emerging for all of us into our future, the thing that's trying to tease us into the greater version of ourselves, uh, is happening before us. It's hap- it's ha- it feels like it's happening in front of us, but it's happening prior to us. And so we are the hands that are tending to doing what that thing is asking us or revealing to us that is possible. Right. I'm just understanding this as I'm talking about it right now. So we feel like we're walking into a greater future, but that little line of magic is already happened and what we can do to serve that is to as that thing reveals itself if it is revealed it exists and has existed and so therefore we can honor that and bring it into being by listening to it right and tending to the thing that it it reveals to us and I like that you said hands intending because the way that I see it is that like the function of the ego in this life to help that becoming become is we are the gardener. Right. And the thing is the tree. Yeah. And like the thing that we can do is we can move the bullshit out of the way. And the bullshit is our reactivity, our line, our denial, our repression, all, all the parts of us that are resisting mm-hmm. and avoiding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, speak on it. Where we can use our will is as the gardener. Yeah. And um, so it's it's not to try to change the tree or to make the, you know, not to try to make the tree be a fucking rose bush or something. Right. It's just move the debris mm-hmm. out of the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's, uh, have you ever seen the movie Being There? No. That's why that movie is so brilliant. Uh, that's why I named one of the subtitles or subchapters in my book, Being There, was, was like kind of a shout out to that movie. It's a movie from the 80s uh, with uh, Peter Sellers. And he basically just plays this character that you're not sure if he's like mentally challenged or if he's uh, like completely enlightened. It's never really yeah. um, clear. But what happens with his character in his name is his last name is Gardner. Mm. <laughs> so his name is Chauncey Gardner in nice. the movie. But he's just like going through life and he's doing exactly what you just described. And he ends up being like broke, essentially nothing to like having a meeting with the president. And the president's asking his advice. And he's giving like metaphors about like different stuff. And everyone's like, whoa, yeah, man. But he's just like, you know, He's just just going through, doing the thing, listening to the thing and talking about it. And it's just such a beautiful metaphor for yeah. what we're talking about. It illustrates it quite nice. And it's called? It's called Being There. And I the, love that his last name is Gardner. Right? Yeah, it's perfect. And in the end, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but uh, it the ending is like 
the it's everything it's it just it's the in my opinion like with the lead up it's one of the best endings and most poetic and like a metaphorical out, yeah it's, it's cool it's really cool it's beautiful but yeah and what's interesting about that man is the hard part i think is it's actually listening to that thing and the more i, I mean, we were talking about this earlier is that the, the breakfast it's like we've been spending we're, we've, been, we've been together for the last four days um uh yeah the more that you, like we hear i think that that voice or that thing or that 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 future that's in the past that we can get to from here or whatever it's constantly trying to give us signals yeah, to man. do what we need to do or what we want to do but man is so often that we don't listen to it or we, our intellectual mind thinks our way out of it or like nah i can't do that or that's not gonna happen or that's not possible or i'm too lazy or i don't want to do that right now or whatever and the more i have just shut that voice out yeah man and i just like i was talking earlier whenever i'm in meditation or whatever and i get that idea that the insight comes it's not even writing it down a lot of times it's just doing it instantly yep and it's because I want you know, the the least amount of filtering from the arisal of that idea into the execution of that idea. And the more I do that, the more I experience that that bliss thing and that magic thing, where it's like, oh, holy shit, it's all it's all happening, you know? It's crazy, and that's a, to maybe to we we spoke on it uh, <laughs> our last podcast. I don't recall, but I've I brought it up a lot because I think it's a a great uh, sentiment or teaching, really. And uh, Suzuki, you know, DT Suzuki, uh, talking about you know, the Zen writer, talking about intuition as a form of enlightenment, and not system one mind, you know, thing. But right. the, the intuition as in the root of the arising of your awareness and your consciousness is the fullness of what you are. And enlightenment is actually getting to that and arturing that. Sorry to get fancy on you. And honoring and expressing that yeah. prior to it going through the fun house of the intellectual brain. Right. And the more you can let that thing through and tap into and listen to that thing and let that come out, then the more opportunity that the fullness of what you are will come through. Yeah. Instead of getting sifted and graded and twisted by the intellectual, the, mind. Yeah, the intellectual mind or even the heart mind, you know, any the For just sure. the 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 chain any of the of, filters. Yeah, the chain of our our being into the world and the accepting, and this loops back around to what I was talking about earlier, the accepting of what is, of what you are and yeah. your state. Once we can get to that, that the the furthest down we can get to the root of the arising and let ourselves live there the closer we get to something like enlightenment. There is an idea that I heard yesterday that really I had like a oh shit moment. And it was that the inner critic, if approached properly, actually transforms into the intuition. And the thought that I just had now was that you it probably arrives in the world as your intuition. And then the conditioning that we get as children like it deforms it into the inner critic 
And then the idea that I was hearing on the podcast is that if you actually engage that thing almost like a child and you go on adventures with it to grow it, it will eventually transform into your intuition. Mm. And like, so like what the judge is at first is it's telling you all the things not to do. But like the way that you start to like dance with that is you challenge it and you actually like do some of the things that it tells you not to do and you actually see what happens. Cause really th this is just me trying to play with this idea now, but the intuition gets bastardized as the inner judge through fear. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's, it's fear. And there's a part of you that's young, that's trying to understand like, how do I go through the world and not feel pain and find peace? And you come up with all these rules. Yeah. And those rules have never questioned become the prison of the inner judge. And I think it's also a protection mechanism. Ultimately, Absolutely. Where yeah. it's like, no, no, if you don't go outside, you won't get hurt. Right, exactly. And But it's also, if you don't go outside, you will never go on an adventure and mm -hmm. you won't grow. But um, I really like the idea that like, your intuition is actually a thing that grows with you and you can have this dialectical process with it. Like it's, it's like your most, it is maybe the most fundamental and intimate relationship that you'll ever have is the one that you have with your intuition. Mm -hmm. And um, that came to mind when you were telling me that story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I've always looked at the inner, inner critic as like the last line of defense of the ego <laughs> for sure you know because i tend to i don't know i've spent time tracking my just out of curiosity like i like to try and track my flow of awareness i spent a long period of time just going how far back can i get at my thoughts like how yeah, yeah, close yeah. to when they're seeping out of the ground floor and coming onto my stage of awareness like how close can i get to that thing I got felt like I got pretty deep into it there for you know, to and it let me understand that uh, it's almost like I feel like there's this chain of for me anyway. There's thought, which is unfiltered. Then there's emotion. Then there's which comes after the thought for you. No, well, there's like this um, is you going down. This is you start from the reverse. Okay. Let's go from the arising. Got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's emotion, I think, and then memory, right? Which is like an image. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then intellect, and then out. And intellect houses ego, psychology, all that Judgments. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say heart, that houses feeling, you know, sensation, uh, body feeling instead of mind feeling. And memory is just a system. You know, it's the the playing board, essentially. The stage? Yeah, yeah. It's weird, yeah. So for me, memory is almost always like a image mm -hmm. that has like a tone to it like an emotional tone, but it's almost always an image. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for me, memory is like a watching a movie or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I started watching how like an idea would pass through those chambers mm -hmm. and how when it is what it is initially, it's interesting. 
and it feels like valuable because it almost doesn't feel a part of me or something. So I don't need to, I'm not judging it yet. Yeah. And this is gonna turn into, this is gonna get to how you can make awesome art by the way in a minute. So that thing arises because, and it's awesome because it's not me yet. It's come from somewhere else. Then how do I feel about that? Mm. How does that feel in my body now that that's inhabiting my body? Mm-hmm. And then memory is what does it mean to me based on my story? And how can it be shifted to make my story unfold the way I want it to? Mm. Then it goes to the intellect and the intellect goes, well, how are we going to see that and make that happen in the world? Right. An issue is, is that in that, how are we going to turn that into a, a technical, a strategy You know, in the world is that Ego lives there, inner critic lives there, trauma lives there, all sorts of nasty stuff lives there. And so- All the stuff the hand's trying to clear out of Right, right. So by the time that that, and also as as the thing has passed through your heart, mind, and into your, you know, through your memory and into your intellect, now it's already you. Now it's become you by that that thing is no longer a cool nebulous thought. And so, I have tried to do some remodeling on <laughs> on the chambers, the hallways of those chambers, yeah. and uh, you can make awesome art if you do this. You can also, I mean, not to get you know silly and oopy goopy and hallmarky, but we are expressions. I'm, I'm with Nietzsche on that one. Is that we're Amen. all master artists. Amen. You know, just in the creation of our being into the world is a lifelong project. People tell me, oh, I wish I had a long art project to d- get on with. You're getting one. You're on one now, You're man. doing it, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um, and no galleries are interested. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so w- when it, the, the thing comes up, you're able to see it as cool because it's not you yet, right? Yeah. So the idea, like, we want to hold on to that forever until it gets out of us, ideally. Um. And so having it pass through the heart, I think instead of it becoming a thing about how do I feel about it, that becomes just a level of intelligence to where it's like, okay, what does this mean to me, this idea, this feeling? And do I need to get my body feeling involved in this? Yeah. Does it need help here? Is it something important? Is this a conversation I need to have? because it's important to me because I feel that I need to have this conversation with someone else. Will I be less integrated and less able to quote unquote, accept what is if I do not have this conversation with Mm, this other person? That's a good question. Am I, is this thought a, is this thing arising? Is it hurting me? Is it disrespecting me? Or the other way, am I moved to be compassionate with this? Am I feeling love from this idea? Or does it not have any real emotion involved? Is it outwardly, is it Tonglen? Is it outwardly expressed compassion? What is it? And then letting it pass through the memory. And again, making the memory in service, not in reaction, but in service to the arising. So it's not like, oh God, well, I better do this because of this, this, and this. It's like, well, how can I use what I've learned from all of these things to honor this mm. and serve this idea the best? Right. Almost like a midwife. Right, right, right. And then the intellect, when it comes through, 
instead of then now going, okay, now the thought's kind of becoming me a little bit. Now I better get scared about releasing me into the wild without being able to parent it a little bit. Just allowing it to go through that chamber and turning it into a pure honoring situation as opposed to a manipulation thing. Right. And, and if you can't, you can service the idea with your intellect because right. the intellect is super useful, obviously. Yeah. So you can say, okay, how can I sharpen this thing up in service of it, not in service of me or yeah. my fear? Yeah, dude, the thing that comes up that feels like it encapsulates all of this is, is the difference between a parent who's trying to raise a child for other people. Yeah. Or <laughs> they're trying to do the thing that helps that child be what the child is. Because mm -hmm. there's so many parents, man, who are raising children and they want the child to be a thing yeah. for their ego, mm -hmm. for other people to give them reflections. Yeah, and then, it's like a piece of jewelry. Yeah, dog. And then there's the parent that's like, I'm going to help you be the weird thing that you are the most successful in the world. And that's what it feels like you're doing with Absolutely. these ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like the parent creates that awesome individual by getting out of the way. Yeah. And um, the, there's a poem from uh, the prophet about the archer. Are you familiar with this? Mm -mm. It's one of my favorite pieces of writing, but it's this idea that um, you as the parent, you think you're the archer and that your intentions are the bow and you're releasing mm -hmm. your child into the world. And the answer is no. The parent is the bow. God is the archer. Mm. And the child is the actual arrow. You are not the archer. Your thing is to be the stability and the thing that allows that thing to go the furthest and the truest in the world. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I'm a little offended by the 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 patriarchal imagery of <laughs> an arrow being the only possible representation. Yeah, man. Um, I thought you were gonna go on me with like, and you're not the bow, you're not the arrow, you're the air that the arrow <laughs> flies through. <laughs> I'm not there yet. Awesome. Feel like we did it? Do you think we did it? This is your show. I think we did it, Doc. All right. Nice. Thank you for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. It's always a great joy. And I really appreciate um, you inviting me on your podcast and uh, you being Eric and us getting to interweave our thought babies together and <laughs> go. Open invitation until we both die. All right. Which one of us do you think will die first? Hmm. You dog for sure. Hmm. Uh, no, my truth is I, I have no idea. I don't have any, um, I have nothing there. <clears throat> um, do you think about like people you've known for a long time, given that you were both still relatively young, uh, do you think about how weird that's going to be whenever one of you is going to die? The only people that I think about what it's going to be like when they die are my parents. Mm. And um, the way that I think about it now is I just hope that however I can show up can give them the greatest possible chance of like them forgiving themselves because I feel like they both haven't. Yeah, holding on to some... A lot. Some stuffs. A lot of stuffs. And mm. then hopefully, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's one of those things, man, where I don't know what your relationship is... Um, 
in detail, but like for my parents, I think the only shot that I'm going to get with them to like really like have them feel safe where they can speak their truth is going to be like if they're on their deathbed. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to do the work to be the man that when that opportunity of the song arises, I can play a clean instrument. It's a nice idea. I mean, it sucks that I think that's what hell actually is. That's in the metaphors and stories and ideas and mythology of heaven and hell and all that. No, I agree. I think hell is being on your deathbed and knowing that you fucked up and that there's nothing you can do about it now. In that moment, an entry point into you know, death or source or oblivion or the abyss or whatever, that realization, that's enlightenment of the worst kind. You get enlightened into hell in the last moments of your life. But I do think that there's that moment for heaven. Like the moment oh, you have course. that realization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah they, that they like, co must coexist. Yeah, that there's that opportunity for the like alchemy that I wish had been present, yeah. you know, for the last 20 years, but might be also, present that last minute. It doesn't have to be at the last minute. I know. Yeah. I, ideally, it's not. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, I think that's why all of us are doing any, any of this shit or talking about any of this stuff. It's because we want to find the heaven now yeah. and as soon as possible so that we don't end up going, oh, I'm so glad the last five years of my life I had an awareness shift and I really got over For my sure. bullshit because I realized time was too late. Well, time's already too late, no matter how old you are. <laughs> are you 20? Yeah. You only got, <laughs> you got 50 years left. Hurry up. Hurry up and get to now. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's about how many times can you dance in heaven while you're alive, mm -hmm. you know? And, like, I think we touched on some things that will get you into heaven. Definitely. I like that family guy bit about uh, Peter talking to himself, I think, in heaven, like the oh. ghost of himself. And he's like, so, you're in heaven. How is it? And he's like, there's a shortage of chairs. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, huh. And then the him in heaven's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on that note brother thank you thank you